Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I am very glad that the guys are here. It's the Tom and Tom show today, now with 25% more Tom. So, <laughs> oh. uh, you know, it's just you guys. Here we go. Uh, Peter Kapsner is in Michigan with his family on vacation. Mm-hmm. How dare he? You know, he didn't yeah. ask my permission. Mm. And uh, 007, he's got, the, you know, the start of school. The kids are back. The chapel's getting going. And he said, I need one more week and I'm back next week. Because he is a he is the pastor for Northwestern. But, yes, here at the chapel, uh-huh. so he leads all the chapel services. Oh, he's okay. busy, and he is so good at what he does. Yeah, yeah. So we miss those guys. Yes, and Peter just texted me saying, "I'm going to miss you guys today." Hmm. So that's nice. And we're going to miss him. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, Bill. So anyway, Tom, you had a, a meeting with a number of Lutheran pastors this what this week? Yeah, on Tuesday. Uh, t- do tell what happened. Came to the end of the meeting, and, and one of the uh, Lutheran pastors, he's actually an official in Lutheran church, looked at me and said, you know, my wife loves guy talk. <laughs> I said, what? She, oh, yeah, she won't miss it for anything. So we're glad she's listening. And then the other pastors uh, individually began to speak up and say, yeah, I listen to guy talk, or my wife listens. So we get an audience out there, guys, nice. um, among the Lutherans. It's amazing. <laughs> we are a household name, and right now it's at nine households. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's a, a, a number's growing. There you it's go. Exciting. Run away. Run away. Yeah. And you always know on Guy Talk, you can text the questions over. Uh, if you've ever had a question you've wanted to ask your pastor, but maybe you didn't have the courage to do it, or you didn't know if you could uh, find the time to, to do it, right now is the time. You can send any question over you like, and these pastors will do an exquisite job of doing the very best they can to answer your question the text number is 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Gentlemen, why is obedience to God so important? And why is obeying God's Word so difficult? Obedience is important because it brings us into alignment with the mind of Jesus. Now, I want to think like He thinks about people. I want to behave like He wants me to behave toward them. If I don't obey what he's told me in the Word of God, I'm going to have a very difficult time, you know, doing those things because my human nature wants to go a different direction. And so obedience is not so much the letter of the law, as I think some people would think of it. It is coming into alignment with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a Christian, I think that's what we want to do. When the person asks the question, why is obedience so hard? I think it's kind of what Tom says, we're born with this thing called the sin nature. And it's hard to have to kill that thing every day and say no to sin and yes to God. But we need to add the verse where Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you Mm -hmm. think, well, what? Uh, But, you know, compare our burden to the burden of the world and all they have is Satan. uh, And they're, they're under the yoke of Satan. So, yeah, it's hard to be a Christian. It's harder not to be a Christian. For, for now and for eternity. Mm-hmm. Are we in charge of our obedience? Are we in charge of our obedience? 
we have a role to play in our obedience, but the will to do it doesn't come from us. It comes from the relationship with the Lord. That's where the power comes from in order to do it. Now, I still have the the freedom of of choice, even as a Christian. I can say, no, I'm not going to do that, or no, I'm not going to forgive that person. But I know this, the power to do it, and and I've seen this over and over in people, doesn't come out of the individual just because they came to a logical conclusion. It's because they've somehow in their heart been encountered by the Word of God and the Lord Jesus, and somehow they say, I've got to do this. And I've watched people writing counseling, you know, literally, I've watched couples where they have been at odds for years, and the the husband will say to the wife, you know, I think just, I think Jesus just touched my heart and, and, and told me I'm supposed to not behave this way anymore. Mm. You know, and you sit there and you wonder, is this for real? Mm-hmm. But then you see the change in behavior. And, you know, this might sound contradictory, but I think it's true. God gets the credit for my obedience. I get the credit for my sin. And Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I think it says in Ezekiel, God says, I will put my Holy Spirit, I will put my spirit within you mm-hmm. and cause you to walk in my statutes. So it, obedience is not something I can do apart from Christ. I can do nothing, he said. So I pray for grace to obey, and generally I do, and it's all glory to God. It's his moving. When I sin, somehow that's my fault. Mm. And I don't know how to put all that together, but, I, you know. Yeah. Does God reward us for being obedient to his word? He does. 1 Corinthians 3, two guys are being judged, both of them are believers, but one goes into heavens with reward, and the other goes into heaven losing his reward, but he himself is saved, but only is through fire. And so, yes, we are rewarded for our good works, even though they're works of grace, it's stuff God did through me, he still rewards us for them. Yeah, the language is used that we receive rewards, it doesn't define what Mm -hmm. those rewards are. So we have no idea what that means. I simply know that when I stand before Jesus, I want to make sure I've done the very best I can as a believer to obey him and to do his will. Mm -hmm. In Hebrews 5, it says, Son, though he was, learned obedience from what he suffered, and Mm -hmm. once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey. It goes on, but what does it mean that Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered? Well, when it says he was made perfect, it doesn't mean he started out sinful and then God made him perfect, because the word perfect can just mean complete. So when Jesus came to earth, he had a perfection to complete. He's born and he never sins, but he still had to learn obedience. It's, you know, uh, again, I think it's Luke 4, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature as a little boy. And so it's kind of the same thing. He grew into obedience, not that he ever sinned, but he completed the obedience uh, especially at the cross. I think sometimes we get this idea when we say Jesus was both God and man, that we think of him, well, he's God. So therefore, when he was man, it was more of a, you know, play thing. It was mm-hmm. just kind of a covering for who he really was. In reality, what the scripture says is that he gave up all of his power in Philippians and became totally obedient to the Father and walked in that obedience and grew and stature, and respect. So it was a process for Jesus as a human being to grow in faithfulness and the love that he was to display, even though he was God at the same time. Yep. And this might help listeners. There's two ancient heresies that we need to avoid. (laughs) The big heresy in the early church, the two and three hundreds, was called Arianism, Mm -hmm. run by a bishop, I think, or a deacon in the church called Arius, who got kicked out because he believed Jesus is not God. He's just Superman, but he's not God. Then there was a different 
uh, the opposite heresy called docetism, docetism in Greek means to seem like. They taught Jesus was God. He never really was a man. He looked like a man, seemed like a man, but God would never take on human flesh. And the early church negated both of those. They have the Nicene Creed from 325 AD that affirms Jesus is true God and true man, uh, true God for all eternity, became man at Bethlehem. But still, in a sense, Jesus is God and man, returning in the clouds as the glorified man, and and he's God. So you, you don't want to fall off of either side of that horse. Which is why it's good that I think we have the creeds. Not, you know, now and then somebody will say, "Well, I just believe in the Bible. I don't believe in man-made creeds." Well, wait a minute. The creeds are based on Scripture. Sure. There's nothing in the creeds that isn't biblical. Right. Right. What does it mean that my sheep hear my voice? That's out of John ten twenty seven. What's well, interesting? Have you ever been around a shepherd with sheep? I got a chance to do that when I was overseas. I could yell at those sheep all I wanted. Nothing <laughs> happened. Mm-hmm. You know. But the shepherd spoke to them, and they they responded. It was absolutely astounding. We are called his sheep, those who believe in him. He he is literally our shepherd. And therefore, when he speaks, and think about it in a given situation, when you find anger welling up within you, how often do you hear the voice of Jesus, either in Scripture or it's an impression inside of you, and you sense the Lord is saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not who I want you to be. It's at that moment we get to make the choice whether we're going to obey or disobey. Sheep are smart in the sense that they obey. They follow the shepherd. We are smart when Jesus calls to us, and we obey him as well. It's kept me out of a lot of trouble, guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a cliche that says, love the sinner but hate the sin. That's not found in the Bible, is it? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But liberal people that I've dealt with in the church don't mm-hmm. like that saying because they don't want to say that sin is sin anymore. And you're being judgmental by saying, love the sinner and hate the sin. And yeah. that's that's what I've encountered is that we, we're not supposed to say that anymore. I think it's fine to say it. It's fine to say it about yourself. I love myself, but I hate the sin within me. Yeah, I think for those of us that have had uh, children and grandchildren, there is a love for our kids that goes beyond anything I can explain. I can't even, it's beyond the love I have for my wife. It, there's a love for them. And even though they sin, and it drives me nuts, and I, I tell them this is not right, there's no sense that I'm going to abandon them. There's no sense I'm giving up on them. There's no sense that they are no longer my children. I will continue to reach out to them. And I think when we look at the Lord, that's how he treats us, which is amazing. And we want to show part of that as best we can as humans to other people in the world. Because I never know when that so-called unbeliever is at the threshold of spiritual awakening. Mm-hmm. And I want to be Good prepared point. to help them. Tom, you bring up, uh, Tom Brock, you bring up an interesting point about uh, sin and its diminished role mm-hmm. in the world, the world today. It's not loving to allow a person to remain stuck in sin, right? Amen. And no. it's it's not hateful to tell a person that he or she is in sin, yeah. Yeah. but it gets to be a little bit more complicated because you get uh, it turned around on you pretty quickly. Right. And you can be called a hypocrite or, yep. or what, you've never sinned or, yep. you know. Because I believe a, abortion is a sin, homosexual behavior is a sin, premarital sex is a sin. Some people think that makes me a hater. Mm-hmm. I, I think the people that are really being hateful, are the people that are telling them, go ahead with that behavior. Those yeah. are the people that are hurting people for eternity, mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Mm-hmm. Well, I start, and I do exactly what Tom does, but I start more gently with people. Somebody, <laughs> 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 it didn't sound right, did yeah, it? I didn't uh, mean it that way. It's, it's <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, what's that what noise I, you're making, Tom Brock? It's called, <laughs> okay, what I get it. Uh. What I mean by that is when somebody says, well, I'm, I'm living with my boyfriend, 
you know, now I know that's not the Lord's will, and I know that's a sin. But for me to start with that with most people doesn't get me anywhere. What I say to them is, so does this really make you happy and feel like you're valued? Hmm. Do you really feel like you're worthwhile? And I said to one woman who was living with a guy, and uh, we were, they came from for counseling for all things, and I said to her, say, why aren't you worth a lifetime commitment from your boyfriend here? And she looked over at him, and she goes, yeah, why aren't I worth a lifetime commitment? So I think that I think the Lord's desire for us for those things is there. The problem is people can turn off real fast because we may come at it too bluntly, but you can still get people well, to I admit still, it. Okay, I, I, okay. That's, that's the ideal. On the other hand... When I bumped into this realtor who told me he and his girlfriend had just moved in, and now we really want to go to church more often, I'm thinking, what? And I had I, and I only met him. For, we we talked for 20 minutes. I'll never see him again. Had I gone home and what I said was, you know, that's a sin. Is basically in, your soul's in trouble if you're living with your girlfriend. And I had to say that, or I wouldn't have been able to sleep that night. If had I just left, yeah. I would have thought, oh, yay, yay. So I think you can do it lovingly and diplomatically. And if I'm on the plane and somebody's sitting next to me, and, you know, I I think you, you know, as long as you say, look, I'm a sinner too, we all need the Savior. But if, if had I not said that, I don't know what, I, I wouldn't See, have been able to sleep very Here's long. the difference, and I, I can sleep well, and yes. here's why. Yes. My goal is not to confront them with me telling them they're a sinner. Uh-huh. My goal is to get them to come to the conclusion they're a sinner because Jesus has something better for them. And that's often why I try to lead it back to Jesus. I, I rarely say to people, you know, that's a sin. What I will say to them is, I don't believe that's Jesus' will, and I think he calls that a sin. Hmm. Put the burden back on Jesus rather than on me because yeah. they can argue with me, but they have a hard time arguing with Jesus. Well, and, uh, and, you know, when I said to him, you know, it's it's God. However, I put it, I might have been. I, I think what I said. I, I here's exactly what I said. I said, you know, living with your girlfriend's a no no, and you know, you got to deal with that because uh, your soul's in danger. Is what I said, and he he looked at me like a deer in the headlights. Oh, of course, like he had never heard this, and he goes to it. He told me the church he goes to. It's a good church, so we got to talk about. Stuff like this. All right, Pastor Tom Brock was just speaking. It's the Tom and Tom Show today, so you can tell the difference between Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. One's confrontive and one's all mushy. <laughs> That's the laugh from Tom Parrish. So when we come back, we'll take your questions. Let me know what they are. It's Guy Talk, 877-933-2484, 877-93-FAITH. Be right back. Tom and Tom are my guests today. I've got a couple of guests uh, that normally join the program, Peter Kapsner and 007. They're unavailable today, so they say. I don't know if I'm buying it, but I'm just going to say, yeah, they're not here, Tom and Tom. More Toms for you today. Let me know what your questions are. I've got some great ones coming in. Here's one. Uh, let's see. From Robin says, the verse where uh, two or more are gathered in my name, I am in the midst of them. What if there's only one or two people? Is he still in the midst, right? I get confused about 
what that verse means. Can you explain it more to me? Thank you. Well, basically what it's saying is the Lord loves Christian fellowship. He loves it when we come together in prayer and worship and praise. And he promises, I mean, this is really a promise. He's saying, look, when you do that, I'm there with you as a group. Now, does that mean he's not with us individually? No, it doesn't say that. He's talking about a particular context where people come together and he will be there with us and he will empower us. But individually, you can kneel by your bed and the Lord will be there too when you call out on his name. And I have no question or fear about that whatsoever. The danger, though, and here's the danger, our human nature is basically to withdraw. We're not as used to wanting to come together or need to come together, but we need to do that because quite honestly, guys, and, and Rosie behind the counter over there, I need you folks and I need other Christians to encourage me to uh, sometimes motivate me with a good hard kick and say, hey, why aren't you doing this or that? And that's why I worked with Tom for many years. He gave me a hard kick all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I enjoyed yeah, did. it. It was good, Tom. But, you know, I, I will tell you that I, I get real nervous. I mean, good answer. Paul the Apostle says, Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. He's always with me. He, right. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But why does he say where two or three are gathered, there am I? It's He's there in a different sense, I yeah. think a stronger sense. I get nervous when people see our TV show and say, yeah, you're my you're my church. And I say, no, I am not. And Hebrews 10, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And I recently dealt with a guy who is watching this TV preacher that I have little respect for and kind of heretical preacher, but it's his church, I think. And I don't think he goes to church. And I have uh, some neighbors that are the same way, same preacher too. And I'm thinking, and I say, no, do not forsake the assemblies. We are commanded, Hebrews 10, to be in church. You know, it's something I learned a long time ago, and I think this is a good statement, and I really hang on to this. The more isolated we become, the more easily we're fooled. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we want to be with other Christians, because it's not simply watching the TV program, mm-hmm. which is fine up mm-hmm. to a point, but you need to interact with other people. Yeah, man. You, you need Amen. to say to them, hey, this is what I think about this, yeah. and the other person can say, but I don't see that in the Bible, and, or I don't think Jesus said that. And the reason a TV preacher is not your church one reason you go to church is not just to get fed, but you feed. You're part of using right. your spiritual gifts. You can't do that watching a TV set. And, and um, uh, what's the other thing I was going to say? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. gone, Tom. It's mm-hmm. gone. It's gone. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. I love it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. Uh, okay, what is it? <laughs> uh, the more accountable I am, the holier I am. Yes. And if you're not in the Christian fellowship, you're not accountable at all, you're not going to be holy. Okay. Here's a question on James uh, chapter 1, verse 15, but in order to put it in context, I might read the two verses in front of it. Mm -hmm. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. And here's verse 15. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Mm Mm-hmm. And the question is, can you please explain what it means in James one fifteen? I think when you sin, you're planting a seed for evil and just keep doing that sin, and it's just going to kill you, the, that it grows into death for you. Here's an example. One of the young women I went to church with growing up, she was a next-door neighbor, loved her dearly, uh, a very good woman. We were in confirmation together. She was very articulate about Jesus, which was really neat. She knew her Bible. And so after college, I went one direction. She went another. I got married. She got married. She moved to the West Coast. 
In her early 50s, she committed suicide. And when I talked to her husband, I said, how did this happen? And he said, well, I think it's after she got into the tarot cards. Mm-hmm. She opened the oh. door in her life to something that drew her away from Jesus. And it never was confronted, and she never repented of it, and it kept manifesting itself. And he said toward the end, she kept hearing voices that said, why don't you kill yourself? You're worthless. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what she did. So for the listener or the person that wrote in, when you continue to harbor these things inside, it will eventually lead to death unless you. you come to a point and say, I'm wrong and I need you, Jesus, forgive me. Yep. Sin will, sin will slowly kill you if you don't kill it. Mm-hmm. Here's a question. Curious if any of you have heard God audibly. Some guys in my small group have and do. I have not. I do find it extremely fascinating, though. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have was not. I was in ninth this grade. Is Bill, I'll go first. Oh, I have you not. you haven't? No. Okay. No. I I, I you know not audibly. The, I get and I, I don't doubt that it can happen, but I think we have a full right to wonder when somebody says, "Yeah, I heard God's audible voice." Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe they did, uh, but Satan can appear as an angel of light, Paul the Apostle sure. says. So if you heard a voice that said something contrary to Scripture, that wasn't the voice of God. Yeah, Maybe we can help clear this up a little bit. Once in a while, people will hear an audible voice. The Lord can do that mm-hmm. if he wants to. Paul, on road to Damascus. I did 45 years ago. Okay. I was in my car. I'm getting ready to go to Brooks Institute in Santa Barbara, California to make motion pictures, newly married. And all I can tell you is that Jesus was there in the car. Could I describe him? No. But I heard an audible voice that said, you're going the wrong direction. This is what I want you to do. And it turned my life around. And it's still the driving one of the driving forces in my life. Now, that's different than when you get an inner impression right. that the Lord's saying something to you. And that can happen. So when I hear people, because I've worked in charismatic churches where they're always saying, well, the Lord told me. And I go, what do you mean the Lord told you? Did you hear a voice or did you get an inner impression? Mm-hmm. Well, well. Well, I think it was an inner impression. That's different. And you can be wrong. Of course you can. And I can be wrong too. But in my case, my wife got the same voice 10 minutes before that Mm -hmm. and told me, you're going to ministry, aren't you? When we never talked about it. Yeah. So it it, it can be real. And it changed my life. Yeah, it can be real. I just think we need to be careful. See, I was going to California to make motion pictures with some guy. You might know him. His name is Steven Spielberg. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. uh Yeah. Uh I was going to go with those guys. Good good friend of mine, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. So God was doing career counseling for you at the time? He was, and okay. he wanted me to preach the gospel. But I actually, this is what I did, Bill. I sat down, I wrote out a five-page, if you want to call it testimony, and how Jesus had worked in my life before I was even born. Because it wasn't just that event. There were multiple events that ultimately led up to me going in the ministry, and there are continuing to be multiple events that keep me walking with Jesus now. And I'm, I majored in radio, TV, film at University of Texas to become a filmmaker, and God turned me around, too. Yeah, I was going to be a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. Wow. We'll take a little break. When we come back, lots more guy talk. We need your questions. We're happy to answer whatever you want to send our way. 877-933-2484. You can also do the other way, which is email me, bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. If you don't want to text and you can want to email, those are your choices. We'll be right back. Let's get it started. Jump in. 
are having guy talk, or guys who talk. It's the Tom and Tom show today. Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish is the power panel. My wingman Terry just sent me a note that said, uh, Hi, Bill, you might not hear an audible voice, but God will continue to speak to all of us as long as we open the scriptures and read them. Of course. Amen. Yes, absolutely. So, Tom Brock, I think during the commercial, or the uh, break, the break, yeah, you were telling a little bit of a story which yes. piqued our interest. Yes. And you claim it's a good one. It's so I'm going to trust you this to tell is, it you and know, have I, it be good. I was at Hope Lutheran Church for 29 years. This is my favorite story of all the stuff that happened. And here's the story. There was a, a woman named Helen. She was our organist. Um, she was extremely Lutheran. She didn't like the charismatic movement. Her father was a Lutheran pastor. Her husband was a Lutheran pastor. I think two of her sons were Lutheran pastors. And she didn't like the contemporary worship. She didn't like charismatic movement. She was extremely Lutheran. And the reason I say that is the reason I believe this story is because it happened to Helen. And, <laughs> and here, here's the story for for decades on Saturday morning at eight o'clock, the, some men of the church, about maybe 12 of us, would come up to the altar and pray for uh, about maybe 45 minutes while Helen was up in the um, balcony softly playing in the organ while we prayed. It was very nice. Then we'd all go downstairs for coffee and donuts. Well, one Saturday, I came out a little before eight o'clock, just knelt there by myself, and then the men came and joined me. Then we all go downstairs. Helen would join us for donuts. Uh, Tom, who was the man in the long white robe who knelt next to you when you came out by yourself? Is there some play going on tomorrow, somebody in a costume? I, I said, no, Helen, there was nobody in a long white robe. Well, yes, uh, you know, who was the person with, uh, you know, I, she kept insisting on this. And I said, finally, I said, I don't know, Helen, maybe it was an angel. And she said, no, this was real. <laughs> That's Helen. <laughs> and, and and you know what? About a week later, she came up to me and she said, I don't think it was an angel. I think it was the Lord because his hair was long in the back. It really impacted her. Well, it did. Wow. And you know what that says to me? Where does Jesus show up in the church? At the prayer meeting. And how many churches even have a prayer meeting anymore? I want to use that story to encourage you. If you don't have a regular prayer meeting at your church. Get one started. That's where Jesus shows up. Mm. So there you go. That's my favorite story. That's an interesting story. Mm. I like it. Yeah. All right, here's a question. Uh, this text that came in, we've we've left the church that we attended uh, 33 years ago. It looks like it's gotten a little bit liberal, right? Uh, so what can we do to help others see or know the false teaching? Uh, many don't want to hear it or they deny it. They have been led astray. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we have to be, first of all, we need to know our Bible. We need to be articulate, at least up to a certain point. Secondly, we have to understand what's actually being said in these uh, situations um, so that we have an accurate thing to respond to. But then we have to lead people back to the Word of God and say, look, if your pastor is not going to do this, you know, you might have to go somewhere else. And I know I've been in churches, I know, Tom, you've been in churches where I've confronted the pastor afterward about some of the theology, and said, tell me in the Bible where you got this. Well, well, it's really not the Bible. It's just my impression. You know, and we're supposed to love one another, aren't we? I go, oh, yeah, but that's not what the Bible means by loving one another. Mm-hmm. We want to speak the truth. And, you know, um, uh, years ago, I led my church out of an erring denomination into a good biblical branch of Lutheranism. 
And I know the frustration of you talk to someone about the horrors of a mainline denomination that's gone liberal, and the response is, oh, they can't be. No, our, my church would never do that. It's like put your fingers in your ears, la, 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 la. What I would tell that person, uh, they can go to Facebook, Google Pastor Tom Brock. I've got article after article after article of recent stuff that uh, some denominations have done. If that doesn't open their eyes to, because it's all documented, the mm-hmm. stuff is documented there. If that doesn't open your eyes to some of these liberal denominations are paying for abortions with offering dollars, uh, have transgender bishops now, homosexual pastors. If that doesn't open your eyes, I, I guess I, sometimes you just got to shake the dust off your feet and leave. Yeah. May I offer one more tool? Most everybody has a smartphone today. You can get, whether it's an article, whether it is documentation or whatever else, you can transfer that to your phone and have it under a file. And I know oftentimes when people, they'll ask me something biblical or whatever, not only do I have the Bible on my phone, I have individual writings of other people that I can pull up. Here's what Augustine said about this, Uh or here's what I heard recently in a Baptist church when I was there. And it can be good and it can be negative. But you need to give people factual information and not let people get away with, well, that's your opinion. Like, all right, uh, Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish is the power panel today. So you got the Tom and Tom uh, taking your questions. Here's one: Do the guys believe in modern day prophets? There are so many self-described prophets today who believe they are receiving revelations from God. I believe that God has given us His Word and His Holy Spirit, so there's no need for these self-described prophets. Your thoughts? I don't. Th- some some Christians believe the supernatural gifts, like prophecy, speaking in tongues interpretation of tongues vanished uh, after the completion of the New Testament. I don't think there's a verse that, teach, that teaches that. So I think there still are prophets, teachers, people with gifts of tongues and everything. But the, the New Testament says we have to test everything. So hold fast to what is good. Um, there were uh, some people who were proclaiming that a certain person was going to become president of the United States, and he lost the election. But these people prophesied, no, no, he's going to win. And so what the Old Testament does, it says, if if someone has a word from the Lord and it does not come true, you do not need to fear that prophet. Yeah. Well, and that's the that's the problem. Um, in the Old Testament, as well as in the New, we're warned about false prophets. There are lots of false prophets out there. And so there's nothing new with people thinking they have a word you know, from the Lord. But if it doesn't come true, you're right. Then you ignore them and you go on your way. Mm-hmm. Here's a forgiveness question. How do I forgive someone who is continually making fun of me, talks down to me, and even insults me uh, publicly when they are never re- repentant and they never change? This person happens to be a relative <laughs> who I'm close to, and I have no way to get away from them. I would, Ouch. I know. I would ask the question, have you ever confronted this person? And if they have, um, first of all, you have to forgive whether you, whether he does it a gazillion times. Jesus, Peter says, Jesus, how many times do you have to forgive this guy? Seven times a day? Nope, seven, 70 times seven. So you have to forgive him. I don't know that means you always have to tell him you forgive him. You know, maybe it's time for that person just... But, you know, I, I guess... If you've never said, you know, it really hurts my feelings when you do A, B, C, or D, uh, you need to probably do that. Um, but if if you've done it and they're still being wicked, I think you privately in, in, in prayer 
ask God's help and tell God you forgive this person by his strength and power, not by our own, but by your strength and power, Lord, I forgive my uh, evil uncle. And that's about all you can do. Yeah. And sometimes I had an older woman who had uh, similar problems when she was younger. And she had an uncle that was that way. was always saying lewd things and whatever else. And I said, well, what did you do about it? How did you survive it? She goes, well, we we tried to talk to him, my mom and dad. So, you know, we we quit going to family gatherings and that. It didn't do any good. He'd show up or whatever. And she said, one day, I can't explain why, I looked at him and I said, may Jesus rebuke you for what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And she said, at least in his case, that ended on the spot right there that day. He was so shook by that. I think confronting we have to confront the person with the behavior. I think that's okay. And it's better if you have a group of people confront the individual rather than just one. Nice response. Appreciate that. All right, here's a question. Um, here's a couple of prayer verses that appear conflicting. Maybe you can explain the application of both. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, it says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Mm-hmm. And then in uh, Matthew 7, verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Yep. Can we... There's a huge difference between those two verses. You know, when you are uh, asking the Lord specifically, and He loves to have a conversation with us. Um, I think the Lord is willing to talk with any of us for a couple hours if we want to. So it's not going to burden Him down. But the battling is when you, and I, I've met a lot of people like this. When I was in in the 60s and 70s, transcendental meditation was real big. And so people got into Eastern mysticism, and they'd use mantras. They'd say the same thing over and over. And that's that was not uncommon back in Jesus' day, back in the Old Testament, that, you know, if you keep using that God's name over and over and over, you have power. Well, no, that's not what you want to do, and that's babbling. But a conversation, Yes. And mm-hmm. yeah, Paul says, pray without ceasing. So yeah. we're supposed to be praying a lot. That is very different than what Jesus says about uh, idle words that Gentiles say over and over that thinks it's going to do something. Right. Here's a question about, uh, did dinosaurs coexist with humans? What do you think? You know, I was down, I was down where the ark is in Kentucky with... Uh, Just recently, weren't you? Not long ago. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, Dr. Ham, who runs that whole place, a lot of a lot of Christian scientists. It was very interesting. He said he very much believes in six to seven thousand years old, but he said it the is Earth. the Earth. But he said there could have well been dinosaurs from what they found prior to the flood, and the flood simply eliminated them and had walked with people. And if I remember right, isn't there? Forgive me, I may be wrong on this. I believe there is a dinosaur track that they found fossilized with a human footprint in it. And that's also fossilized. I'll Mm. see if I can find that. Don't take my word for it, but I've seen that. Could well be. Mm. I just don't know. I'm not very very scientific. Yeah. Yeah. Next. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'll give uh, a chance to uh, take a break, and we'll come back with lots more questions. Uh, If you have one you'd like asked to the pastors, we've got Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish today. You can send it as a text to 877-933-2484. You can also email me if you like, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll be right back with lots more God Talk.
happy Thursday to you. I hope you're enjoying uh, the beautiful sunshine. It is sunny in the Twin Cities area. I hope you're having a nice summer day. I hope your day has gone well. Thanks for listening to uh, another uh, guy talk or guys who talk. Uh, Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish are with me today. Awfully glad they're uh, joining me so faithfully. I'm looking at a passage out of John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. What does it mean for me that I do not come into judgment, but have passed from death to life? I think judgment there can also mean condemnation. Okay. So I think that means we're not going to hell. But it's also clear Jesus will judge the living and the dead, including Christians. Paul says in Second Corinthians 5, and he's talking to Christians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what has been done in the body, whether good or bad, to be recompensed. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So I know the judgment. I, I know that my verdict is not guilty through the blood of Christ. is a substitutionary atonement. I'm going to heaven. That doesn't mean Christians get to skip judgment day. And I don't think that verse teaches that either. Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't think it does either. But in the context, it talks about having passed from death to life. So I think death, you've got to ask two questions here. Is this just physical death or is this spiritual death? It's not defined. If it involves spiritual death, then, of course, we're talking about judgment in terms of going to hell. Mm-hmm. In terms of the end of time when we stand before the Lord, yeah, it's we will stand before the Lord, but there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. In other words, we are, we are absorbed out of that by what he has done for us, and he will stand there with us and speak for us. Well, I think you could, the central doctrine of the Protestant Reformation was we are justified by grace alone. Justified means to be declared not guilty. So we're all guilty, but because of Christ's death on Judgment Day, we'll be declared not guilty because of the death of Christ. Right. There is therefore now no condemnation there for those go. who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. None. Yep. Yeah, none whatsoever. So here's a listener with a friend, that uh, a female friend, obviously, who's been uh, battling with some depression off and on for as long as she's known her. And the other day, she finally confessed that in her late teens, she had a, an abortion mm-hmm. after a mm-hmm. one-night stand. And she went to a, a clinic, had an abortion, and ever since then, she's lived with guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. In fact, she tells me that sometimes in her dreams, the very baby she aborted calls her name. Wow, mm-hmm. what can I do to help her forgive herself and receive the Lord's forgiveness? Mm-hmm. Who wants to tackle she that She needs one? to hear... Yeah, well, one thing I would do, because I had the privilege of working with women for a long time that had abortions, and, and I've heard these kinds of stories, so this is not new to me. What we did, though, is that we kept taking them back to the Word of God. What, what Jesus says about his desire to forgive, about how we can make all things new, even the baby that has been aborted, you know, was not a surprise to Jesus, and this baby is not lost for all eternity. He's still, you know, created in the image of God. So I had to teach these women how to receive the Lord's forgiveness, how to forgive those that helped push them in a direction or didn't take responsibility. But the big one is how to forgive themselves. Mm-hmm. And we did a, we spent a lot of time on that. How do you forgive yourself? And my basic goal was that I would put up, I would give them scripture verses, maybe 10, 15 scripture verses that talk about the abundant forgiveness of the Lord. And I'd say, hang that where you're going to see it every day. And once a day, walk up there and repeat one or two of those out loud and tell Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. And the women that did, 
long-term would come back to me and say, I really finally feel forgiven and cleansed for what mm-hmm. I did. And there is a power in something called the office of the keys, where Jesus says, Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whoever sends you forgive, they're forgiven. Whoever sends you retain, they're retained. He said the same thing to the apostles at the resurrection. He breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. Whoever sends you forgive, they're forgiven. And so there's there's a power when you confess your sins to someone, I mean, I've, I, and I had a lady come up at the altar once and get, get on her knees, confess an abortion she had years ago. She confessed, and even though she knew in one sense she was forgiven, I put my hand on her head and I said, I announce to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ the total forgiveness of all your sins. There's a power in that. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's I, good. I can read the Bible and know it says, First John 1, 9, if you confess, he forgives. To have somebody outside of me affirm to me and announce to me the forgiveness of sins can be very healing. It can, and I I think it's a good thing to do. I would do both Mm -hmm. whenever you can. One of the problems we have in pronouncing forgiveness, which I agree with, and I do that whenever I can with people, is that oftentimes I'm not with them 24-7. They need a tool or a way to keep reminding themselves the truth of God's Word, and then maybe they'll pick up the phone and call and say, you know, Pastor, I'm having a really hard time today. You know, what do you think about this? And then I can do it again. Mm-hmm. There's no limit on how many times I can tell them they stand in forgiveness. And, but I think we were talking before the show started about an hour ago. It concerns me that there are, I'm going to guess, I hope I'm wrong, I'm guessing the majority of Christians have never confessed their sins to anybody. I confess it to God and that's it. Well, that James 5 says confess your sins to one another and pray right. for one another. The reason, I, I mean, for this woman to carry around the guilt of an abortion for years and finally 20 years later she tells somebody about it, let's back that up. When you get convicted, go to some, you know, you go to the Lord, ask God's forgiveness, but talk to somebody about it. But, but where does the local church offer that opportunity to people? I mean, you can do it as a big group. Catholic that, Church does. Yeah, I know they do. Individual yeah. confession. Yeah. I think Protestants have to look at that, too. I agree. No, not in the I, sense that we've got to sit in a booth and no. we can't see one another, but that we need somebody that can literally hear what we say. Mm-hmm. And we need, when you say it out loud, you know, it's a, when I fell in love with my wife, I knew I loved her for months before I ever said it. Mm-hmm. When I said it, she finally knew I meant it. <laughs> and I think sometimes we have to verbalize and then get that verbalization and, back. And the, believe it or not, the Lutheran Church believes in what's called confession absolution. Yes, they do. It, and Luther did. The Episcopalians, uh, the Church of England does. And it's just sad that we don't do it anymore. Remember when you'd come in every day to my office and yes, repent? Yes. It was good, Tom. And you would yell, you did what? <laughs> and everybody in the church could hear it, Tom. That was kind of rough. <laughs> All right, here's a, uh, an interesting question. It involves Moses striking the rock. Mm. So he had an, an experience of striking the rock and having water come out. Right. Then uh, Moses and Aaron gather uh, the assembly, and they God tells them to speak to the rock, right? But he doesn't speak to it. He bangs on the rock again, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and water comes out. Mm-hmm. But he's disobeyed. Mm-hmm. Why did water come out the second mm-hmm. time? Why? Why? I mean, God obviously granted him the ability to have water come out of a rock. Right. Why do you think that it came out the second time when he was being disobedient? Well, and some people think Moses was good. I could have this backwards, but God told Moses to speak to the rock, but instead he struck it. Right. And that's his sin. Well, it doesn't say that. And we are left to guess. Something happened at the rock that prevented Moses from being able to go into the promised land. Right. And what exactly it was is a bit of a mystery. Because it doesn't quite say. Well, and here's the good thing. Jesus is merciful 
to me and to you, even though we do things wrong at times, he still gives us what we need. And water back in that day was a huge issue. If people didn't have you know water every day, they didn't survive. Moses sinned. Yeah, he did something wrong, and he didn't get in the promised land. But at the same time, the Lord knew that the water wasn't just for Moses. It was for the people, too. And he had mercy and provided that. And Moses did go to the promised land eventually because he shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration talking to Jesus before Jesus goes to the cross. So it was a temporary discipline. And I think God was showing everybody, look, this guy's a sinner, too. (laughs) Don't put your hope in Moses. But so it was a temporary discipline. Moses did not get to enter the promised land, but he entered the promised land. Which is the best one to go to. Amen. There's a program called Forgiven and Set Free. It's a biblical post-abortive study for women. It's life-changing. That was from a listener. Oh, that's wonderful. Yep. And there's something called Rachel's Vineyard. I think it's run by the Catholic Church, but anybody can go. Mm -hmm. And if you've had an abortion and need to go away for a weekend with other women and uh, get some help, that can be very healing. It's wonderful. Yeah. When we were, before the show started, we were sitting in the green room chatting and and it was interesting because Rosie brought up that her that she had a, a close in play, and and I, I was thinking of your first stereo. What was your first stereo? Rosie's was a close in play. What was your oh, Tom Brock? Listen, I got a story. Can I tell? <laughs> oh, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm, I think I'm about eight, nine years old. Yeah. I love these little kiddie records where they tell you the story of Peter Rabbit, and yeah. I would mouth it, and and I I asked for a little. Uh, Stereo, not stereo, little uh, toy kid player. And I thought they got it for me, but I invaded mom and dad's bedroom, found my wrapped package, unwrapped it to make sure that was my little, (laughs) I did. And then I wrapped it back up and I got it on Christmas. And you know what? Because now you can go to, if you go to YouTube and type in Peter Rabbit, you'll get a a record from 1963. I can still sing those songs. That's wonderful, Tom. (laughs) I don't know if I want you to, but thank you. I mean, do you have a verse you could? Uh, Peter Rabbit. Uh, actually, it, what it would narrate the story of Peter Rabbit, okay. and, and so I could do. The, I can still tell you the lines. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. My brother was ten years older, so he would play American Bandstand every day at four o'clock, out of Pittsburgh, and we'd have it live on TV, and so we'd listen to it for an hour. And it was after that, my mom and dad actually went out and bought our first phonograph stereo. It was an RCA. It was a cabinet one. And had the speakers on each side. And I tell you, I thought we had gone to heaven. That was so yeah. neat to play those and we, 45s and 78s yeah, on those. And we had one of those big th- honking uh, consoles in the living room. And this big mahogany thing that the people played stereo records on. Mom didn't like it at all. She called it the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> didn't any of you guys have that little uh, phonograph that looked like a little suitcase? And I did. You clip it open and then the, the turntable comes down I and did. Then the detachable speakers I with had the sparkles. That. I didn't have Eighth one. Eighth grade. No. Eighth grade, yeah. yeah. You could spill a Coke on that. It, it, wouldn't affect, <laughs> it wouldn't affect the sound quality. That was the beauty of that thing. See, I got Roy Rogers stagecoach instead. I still have it. So. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, that's been uh, fun. Thank you so much for Curing the weight of uh, Guy Talk today. Thank you. you. We love being here. A fantastic job. Uh, We're going to take a little break. Uh, When we come back, we've got a great second hour. Uh, Dr. Cal Beisner is going to be joining us. There's been some spectacular news that has come out that uh, most people are not going to want to hear who are in favor of uh, this climate change movement. Uh, you're going to find this very fascinating, I promise. And then uh, Nikki Koziars is going to be coming on the program as well. She's written a book called Flooded, The Five Best Decisions to Make When Life is Hard and Doubt is Rising. 
She's going to be my guest as well. That's all coming up in the second hour. We'll take a break and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.